0: Glad that you're here with us this morning on this hot, sticky, steamy summer day. Pastor Dave said it well. Um, There's a bunch of us camping out at Dunes Harbor this week. He said he opened his door this morning. It felt like a dog breathed in his face. (laughs) Well, that's Dave in air conditioning. Those of us that didn't have air conditioning are sitting in a tent all weekend with the rain last night. We had a dog breathing in our—well, sorry, Stace. (laughs) We— We had <laughs> didn't mean anything by that, um, but it was hot the whole night. So thanks for being with us and choosing to worship um, our God. It's, it's why we gather. It's why we come as a group of people to praise. Because Jesus is our portion. Jesus is all that we need. And as was mentioned before, He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the psalm that we're going to look at today is full of that truth as Psalm 136. And I just want to say thank you to, uh, to Abigail for sharing. Abigail, we've been on many, many mission trips together, and I've watched God grow your heart. And I mean, since you were young, you wanted missions. And to see that door continue to open is just a phenomenal uh, grace of God being poured on you and your family. And then, I mean, your friends with you. I mean, met at Lake Ann this summer, missionary. In Thailand for years. Just God supplies and God keeps moving us forward. So, so pray for Abigail as she gets into her senior, senior year already, holy cow, um, as God opens up other doors for missions. We've had a lot of young people that say, yeah, I'm interested in missions, and a lot, a lot of them follow through on it. So whatever God has for her, but it's just great to have her here this morning um, with us and praying for your, you and other college students as you head back over the next few weeks to see what God has for you. So we're going to read Psalm 136 together. Uh, there's 26 verses and we're going to read it where the psalm, I'll read a portion in the front and you guys are going to respond. It was read this way and written this way for a purpose. They, they call this psalm the Great Hallel. And it's, it's probably the psalm that uh, um, Jesus and his disciples sung as they left the Last uh, Supper, as they moved out to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is written, to be, it's written so that a song leader can sing it, and then the congregation, the, the people of Israel, would respond. And so we're going to do the same thing, and you're going to respond with the same phrase over and over and over 26 times. So let's stand and read the Word of God together. Psalm so 136. I'll read the first and you guys respond. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Faithful love forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Faithful love forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Faithful love forever. Give thanks to Him who alone does mighty miracles. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. The sun to rule the day. And the moon and stars to rule the night. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His love he brought Israel out of Egypt. His love he acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. His love Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His love he led Israel safely through. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. He killed powerful kings. Cheyenne, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. A special possession to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our weaknesses. He saved us from our enemies. He gives food to every living thing. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Father, we needed that reminder this morning. Some of us have walked through a, a difficult week. Others just needed to remember that your love, your faithful love, your mercy, your, your loving kindness will last forever. So Father, as we dig into this psalm, In this hot, sticky, steamy room, Father, I pray that you will will remind us of that faithfulness in whatever way that looks like in our lives because, God, you never change. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, because you are my rock and my redeemer. In your precious name we pray, amen. Take a seat. So Psalm 136 is where we're going to park it today. And this is a historical psalm, and I'll get to that in a moment. But history is so very important. So this is a picture of um, Eucydides. And he wrote a lot about the Peloponnesian Wars between the Athens and the Spartans. And he's called the first historian by a lot of people. And this is what he wrote. In fine, I have written my work, not as an essay, which is to win the applause of the moment, but as a possession of all time. He was looking forward. History is important. So then if you go two millennia, two millennia later, years, two millennia later in the Americas, thinker George Santayana wrote these words. Those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. And then we think about the the, the gospel writer Luke. He wrote Acts, but he also wrote his gospel, Luke. And one of the reasons he wrote Acts is as a historical account of the early church. And he wanted us here in the 21st century to know what was the foundation of the church, where its origins came from, what's its mission, what's its doctrine. And he did that as a historical account of what God did in the early church. History is important. Last week we had a science lesson. This week we're having a history lesson. And we see that in Psalm 136, and we see the rich history between God and His special people, Israel. So in a historical psalm, that's one of the genres. If you're just joining us this summer, we're we're going through the psalms this summer, and we're looking at different genres of the psalms. And today is a historical psalm. And historical psalms take lessons from the history of God dealing with His creation and His people. In a few weeks we'll look at the creation part a lot more in depth. But there's a lot of historical psalms. But, but it's important to know that we have to remember and we have to look and learn from history. And I just want to give you five reasons. And I'm just going to fly through this, Krista, just because of time. But just the five reasons. First, we have to remember history. This is probably the, perhaps the most important and the obvious reason, but the retelling of the past events reminds us of the real historical events that God has allowed to occur throughout history. So it's important to remember history. Number two, the reason we study history, is to prevent disobedience. Israel failed often. And God has accounts of that in the Word of God so that we, the people of God in the 21st century, can learn from how they failed and to hopefully spur us on to act in obedience and to walk forward, so to prevent disobedience. The third reason is to urge obedience. The retelling of history of Israel's history was so crucial because, because, because we get to watch how they failed, but then how they followed God obediently. And it gives us an insight into what that looked like. Following the ancient past is not outdated. It's wise and it's profitable. Because Dave was talking about we serve a God that doesn't change. It might, it might, we have different situations and different circumstances, but God never changes. And we need to follow him in obedience. We learn that from history. But we also study history, and we've got historical psalms and other history in the Bible, to instruct our children. I loved what Dave was talking about here as he talked about our portion. We are to disciple the next generation. Each and every one of us, if we have children of our own or if we're, we don't have children of our own. If we have grandkids or if we don't have grandkids. We have to instruct our children. And we can learn a lot from the history of how God dealt with his people. And then the final one, which I think is even more important than all of them, is to worship God. To worship God. We study history to worship God. The same God remains the same. He's immutable. The God of creation is the same as the God of the patriarchs. The God who loved Jacob is the same God that brought Israel out of the, out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea. The God who led them across the Red Sea is the same God that walked with them for 40 years in the wilderness. Probably hotter than this. But he was with them. The same God who dwelt among them in his tabernacle is the same God that we get to worship today. God does not change. His, his years shall never come to an end, and we need to learn about that through these histories. I came across Romans 15 verse 4. It says this, Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, and the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement, hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So thus, when the psalmist talks about his history, talks about how they watched God work, they watched the salvation come to the Israelites, the people couldn't help but respond. His faithful love endures forever. And that's a fascinating statement. And I want to park it there as we, as we walk through this, 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 this psalm. It's, it's, it's like this gym. There's so much into that that, that phrase, that you, when you hold it up, it just sparkles. And there's so many facets to that phrase, that phrase, his faithful love endures forever, that it just cannot be captured with one word. And as I studied that word, that phrase this week, I'm like, I need to come back to this someday. So within the next couple of years, you're going to see a whole series on this phrase. And you'll see why by the end of the sermon today, hopefully. There's so much to it. It comes from the Hebrew word, Hassed. hased And it's used 250 times in the Old Testament alone. 250 times in the Old Testament. 127 times in the Psalms. 26 times in the Psalm that we read today. And if you're memorizing Psalm 103, you'll notice three times today in the 14 verses you'll see it. In and verse, and verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in what? Steadfast love. Verse 4, who crowns you with his what? Steadfast love and mercy. Verse 11, verse 11 for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is what? The steadfast love of our God. Hassad. It cannot be translated into one word. It cannot be. And the King James Version. Hey, Ryan, do me a favor. Just kind of hold this up and play with it a little bit. Just let it sparkle over there, right? It's from Home Goods. It's not going to sparkle a lot, but it worked. <laughs> The King James Version translates this phrase with 14 different translations. They see the word has, hasa, has said" and 14 different ways they translate it. Verse 136, the response there is, His mercy endureth forever. The, 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 new, the NIV translates it 12 different ways. And in, verse, in chapter 136, it, it, it says, His steadfast love endures forever. The ESV translates it in 10 different ways. And, and the NLT, the one where we read it, out of it, translated it a bunch of different ways too. And it's his faithful love endures forever. It's a very difficult word to translate into English. There was this guy in the, 19, or in the 1500s by the name of Miles Coverdale. And he was a pastor and he was a, a bishop in England for, I think, three years. But his love was Bible translation. And he wanted to see the Bible taken from Latin to, uh, to English. So he approached King Henry VIII and said, I want to be, uh, I need some support, I need some funds to do this. And King Henry VIII said, do it. So within a year, he had translated the, the Bible from, Engl- from Latin t- to English. But he came across this word, said, over and over and over. And he did not know how to translate it. And he just wrestled with it, and he prayed, and God, how do I translate this word? And he coined the word for the first time, loving kindness. So if you read some translations, this word hased is translated loving kindness. Now I remember when I was back in Zealand, one of the pastors got a, a, a new Bible, and he was fascinated with this, this word hased, this Hebrew word, and this loving kindness. So he took a highlighter in the Old Testament. And he highlighted each one of the phrases that was that tr- translated hased, And for 250 times, all he had in his Old Testament were, were these highlights. And we sat in his office one day, and he just took it, and he went like this. And that phrase just popped off the paper. Multifaceted. So much depth. So much like, like, mystery around that word that we don't even understand. So often this word, and here are some ways that it's translated. We already said loving kindness. It's translated faithful love, steadfast love, covenant love, mercy, compassion, beauty, benevolence, and more. All around that phrase is faithful love endures forever. So as I looked at what the Jewish rabbis would teach and what they studied, they always used the word benevolence. When they used and talked about this phrase, the benevolence of God, the benevolence of, of what God of His character and His love and His mercy just popped off the pages to them as they taught to their students in the Jewish culture. Are you so immersed, so so captivated by the hasad of God that it's changing your life? That you think of his benevolence and say, my God, oh, thank you. I mean, that's how this, that's how this psalmist starts. He, 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 he says, he says, give thanks to the Lord for he is what? He is good. His loving faithfulness endures forever. So one other thing about this word, it kind of creates this gravitational pull, Not just the words that they translated it from or to. There's other words that are always drawn into it. Words like love and truth and mercy and compassion and covenant and faithfulness and justice, goodness and favor and righteousness and on and on and on. It's such a deep Bible word. You tell I'm passionate about it? You need to understand this and let it impact your life. But again he starts out, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And then he tells us in the next verse why God is good. He tells us how the hasad is expressed by God to his people. And, and f- the first thing he talks about in verses 4 through verse 8 is the creation That God is good because he is a creator God. Verse 4, God does great wonders. Verse 5, he made the heaven with skill. Verse 6, he placed the earth above the waters. He made the heavenly lights. The sun to rule by day, the moon and stars to rule by night. Church, we need to hear and understand this. That God's creation and his care for his world shines a light on the hasad of God. Shines a light on his faithful kindness, his, his, his faithful love. He's shining a light on that. And that was so fundamental for the ancient Israelites, that God was their creator God. They had just spent years in captivity in a nation that had so many gods. It had a God that created the sun and a God that created the moon and a God that was a fertility God and all those things. And God says, you know what? I'm the creator God. I'm the creator God and you need to worship for me. So as the Jews opened their Bible, the Israelites opened their Bible when they got a copy of it, what's the first thing they saw? Genesis 1 and 2, what is it? God is creation. First thing we do when we open our Bible, what do we see? Genesis 1 and 2. God is a creator God. And that creation spotlights his hasad. And he had a plan. And he had a purpose. For why he created you. And why he created me. And why this church is here. And how the things, everything works in order. A, a creator God who has a plan, who has a purpose, but he also has morality. And he says, people, church, those that know Jesus Christ as your, as your Savior, I created you with a purpose, I created you with a plan, you are to worship me as a creator, but then you need to live like I asked you to live. And we live in a culture where people, especially some people in the church that say, I read what God says, but I have this whole morality thing and obedience is kind of not where I want to walk. But I want to say thank you to this church. So many of you are pushing so hard into following after God in obedience. Just saying, I want to live my life holy and set apart. Keep pushing into that. Let your life, let your morality, let your purpose and your design shine a spotlight on God's chesed. Wherever you walk and wherever you go. It is so incredibly important because we know what happens when we don't walk in that light in that morality history repeats itself right and we see it over and over through scripture we see that we see what happens when people don't walk with god we see what people don't happen they're destroyed romans 118 through 20 or 19 through 21 if we flip ahead to that one it says this They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they would not worship him as God, even giving him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. If you don't worship God as creator God, if your life doesn't shine hi, shine towards his hasad and you don't live with morality and how God asks you to be, you will be destroyed. There will be darkness and confusion in your mind. And church, we need to continue to live that way where we stand up and walk in obedience and shine light on God's hasad. Second thing I just want to address. We're trying to fly through this. I know it's hot, and if you have the notes, we're, just, we're, we're, we're going quickly through it. But the second thing—it gets even more personal as we look at this verse. Any college football fans here? It's starting soon. Yeah, no, go blue. Uh, any Texas, any Texas Aggie fans in here? Nobody? They see Texas Aggies? All right. But Texas Aggies is known as—if you go to the stadium there—home of the 12th man. Home of the 12th man. They live and they breathe. They feel like when they're in the stadium, they are part of the game. They stand up the whole time. There's, there's banners all across the stadium that they are, the fans are the 12th man. They, their identity is in that team and in that school. Excuse me once. They, that's where they draw it from. Our identity, our way we walk, the way we live, has to be out of the hasad of God. And we see that in the next few verses. We're, we're the God shining a light on his people. Not just his creation, but his people. And specifically here, it was the Israelites. But if we are born again and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a people of God. You are a child of God. You're not a 12th man, but you're you're. you're part of God's kingdom, and we need to live that way. So as Israel sung this song, they first recognized the creation, and then they recognized that they are people of God, that God's creation and care for his people shines a light on his asad. So from verse 10 through verse 25, the psalmist looks at the relationship between God and his people. Jesus says, I am the husband, and the church is the what? The bride. Again, we are his people. So beginning verse 10, through, just some examples. Give thanks to him who brought Israel out of Egypt with a strong hand and outstretched arm, who parted the Red Sea and led Israel through it, who hurled Pharaoh and his army into the seas, who led and cared for his people, who struck down mighty kings. They protected us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. And that's one of the most repeated stories in the Old Testament. The story of the birth of the nation of Israel. That is why when they say God's creation and his people shine a light on God's chesed. So it really comes down to this. Can I trust him? Do I really believe that God is benevolent. That God is loving kindness. That his steadfast love endures forever. It comes down to that question as we, as we think through it. How many of you remember Michael Card? All right, he's a Christian, uh, 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 Christian songwriter, but he also was a Hebrew scholar. And he wrote this about Hasid: has, has When the person I have right to expect nothing gives me everything. Read it with me. When the person I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That's what our Heavenly Father does for His children. Hold that gem up, Ryan. God's hasad is multifaceted. His loving kindness endures forever. So important that we understand that and the god that doesn't have to give us anything shares with us his aside and we get to live out of that we live in a life where we're like that 12th man we're part of that team we're part of who god wants us to be and our lives shine for his glory and for his Assad. so how many uh, there's a song out there i'd rather have jesus listen to the lyrics I'd rather have Jesus in silver or gold. I'd rather have him than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus in houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his now pierced hands than to be a king of vast domains, than be held in sin's, sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can afford today. So I was visiting, and you can put it down right thanks. I was visiting an elderly man recently He had served God for 80 years, and he was just as passionately loving God now on his deathbed as he did when he accepted Christ in his teens. And he he said, as he laid there and he was approaching his death, he said, the words of that song so filled his mind and heart. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd, I'd rather have everything about Jesus than anything this world has to offer. And then his eyes filled with tears. And he said right pastor he said teach the young children about the loving kindness of God teach the young children about God's goodness he didn't say hasad or hased but he understood that his god was loving kindness that his god's love was steadfast and it never changed and then he said teach him that this loving kindness will always satisfy. But the things of this world will never satisfy. So church, as you live your life this week, wherever God brings you, if if it's Eric and Ann up in a hospital room with their 18-year-old son saying, what does the next 40 weeks look like? If, if, If it's you leaving back for college, if it's you raising family or sitting home alone at night with no family around, Dwell on the set of, of God, on the loving kindness of God. Let it wash over you and, and change you. Immerse yourself in God's chesed. And everything you see, respond. His faithful, loving kindness, His mercy endures forever. I was mowing the other day, and Stacy grows succulents around her trees. And I'm like, what? Um... But I, I just drove around the tree as I was mowing, just amazed at, at how they grow and how they propagate. And just, it just I, was, I was thinking about this passage and it just boiled out of me. His Assad endures forever. May that be true in your life. May you train yourself to constantly look at the people of, and at his creation and see the Hassad of God and how he's working Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Say it with me. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Praise team, come on up.